Chapter 4 Heaven, Hell, and Hope Rising The winter was exceedingly challenging, and I dragged myself through the days that seemed to pass by as slowly as the old axiom, molasses in January. Being sixteen didn't really assuage any of my legitimate teenage angst, nor did it help me to make any more sense of the world that I seemed to inhabit. To say that I felt conflicted about it would be a dramatic omission of a complexity of feelings that I could not begin to name, even for myself. My parents, particularly my mother, wanted me to speak to a counselor about those feelings. So I reluctantly agreed to see a counselor, hoping that it would divert my mother's attention to other things like her work. She sought out employment soon after we arrived, and she must have thought that it kept her from her children, perhaps causing her parental guilt for doing so. The truth was that for me, it felt like a relief to not have her so directly involved in all the little details of my life. I needed that space between us to grow and to explore and to make my mistakes when necessary. And so I did grow, explore, and make some mistakes. As the days continued to be long and dark, my feelings followed like a winter storm. I went out and saw friends when I could, even sneaking out of the house when denied permission by my parents. I would close my door, saying that I was going to sleep, and then off I would run to catch the U2 for some party or another. There were so many that it was hard to even keep track of them all. My escape route was varied, but at times demanded avoidance of the creaky wooden stairs. Because of the density of the stone walls, sneaking back in was easier when the house was asleep. I turned my key in the lock and crept upstairs like a cat in the dark. I developed a ninja-like precision, climbing out of my second-story window, scaling the wall over to my parents' balcony, and from there jumping over to the garage roof. Once on the garage roof, I could safely jump down to the ground, disappear into the shadows, and head down on der Bornhole to catch the U2. I began noticing on my adventures that Joshua seemed to be always looking out for me. I realized that Dustin had a little chat with Joshua about me and did what any good boyfriend would do. He asked Joshua to look after me. Joshua was watching out for me so much that it occasionally seemed like too much. Because of the feelings between us, I allowed it to continue. Perhaps he could see that each day I felt a weight on my shoulders. Literally, the weight of the world seemed to rest there. Nothing made sense to me. It appeared to me that people seemed unable to create lasting positive change in the world. I was living in a country that had a wall dividing it into two, proving this very point, and it was deeply disturbing to me. This wall that was built, that took the name of Berlin after the war, divided families from families, lovers from lovers, sisters and brothers divided one from another. Mothers, fathers, and their children were all divided, one from the other. It was a mess and should not have been allowed to happen, and yet it had. I could feel the shadow of the Berlin Wall casting a pall upon the land. It became a symbol for me of the division that existed in the world, between people, within people, and within my own self, my own soul. I felt divided from myself sometimes almost beside myself, haunted by myself, 
only the self that I was haunted by was another presence that I could sense and not see. I couldn't understand it, and so I just went on with my life, each day seeming more miserable than the next, until I didn't think that I could take it anymore. During this time, I could almost feel someone reaching out and touching me on my arm or shoulder when I was alone and staring into space, pondering my own existence. I was being watched by a curious onlooker, a voyeur that I didn't seem to be able to avoid. It was nothing that I could talk about or articulate. It was a deeply personal feeling, yet there was something else to it that I couldn't quite put my finger on, something deep, internal, yet external. Not being able to define this presence that was stronger during the night, I began to think of it as angelic in a way, whether it was an angel or not. It seemed male, almost like another part of myself, someone reaching out to me silently, yearning to know me more deeply. I prayed often, asking Yeshua, or Jesus as I called him, for protection. I asked God very apologetically to please look after me and send angels to watch over me. I was uncertain as to whether God had sent the wayward angel that was so desperately close, but I felt as though God could handle that as well. I felt like I asked for a lot from God to just get me through the day, and that God must have much more important things to tend to other than me, but I asked anyway, because I wasn't sure how I could do it any other way. In return, I promised to be true to myself and to God. I didn't know what else I could possibly offer to God. What could I possibly do for God? I didn't know, but God did. I remember days on end, each dark one bleeding into the next, etched with cold, icy hands like crystallized frost on glass. So much of Germany felt haunted by the hollow echoes of the Second World War. It chilled my heart and soul, which screamed out in agony for anything to stir the life inside of me. I hid my desolation from people, and so was fairly well-liked and more well-known than I had imagined. It was on one of these dark Frankfurt nights, haunted by the souls of the past screaming for release that demanded a healing of the future, that I lay down to sleep. I snuggled in under my down comforter beneath the picture window that overlooked the farmland and highway to the east. My sadness wrapped around me like a shroud. I crossed my arms over my chest, not unlike an ancient mummy laid to rest inside of a sarcophagus, and I drifted off to the world of dreams. My dreams were rich and varied, but on this night and morning I had a dream like no other. I found myself high above the earth and floating on a cloud, bathed in sunlight. It was a beautiful cloud, rich and billowy white, much like cotton candy under the deep blue dome above, in the arms of the sky. Being over Frankfurt, it was accompanied by many others, so there were plenty from which to choose for cloud hopping. My senses felt pristinely alive, as did I, and more intensified than they had been while on earth. I was lucid and yet dreaming, but more importantly, I was in love. In love! I was running and playing like a child with a playmate who I did not know in my life on earth. He was with me, and we were harmoniously happy. Oh, happiness! What was this feeling that came over me? 
Yes, endless amazingness. This was happiness. I had never felt anything remotely like it. And in this delight, there was the absence of sorrow. No sorrow, no sadness. There was only joy in the infinite nature of being. And in this boy, I found a shared treasure of knowing and understanding each other without needing to speak. Without a word, I was able to convey my deepest feelings and desires for unity and oneness, and he understood them while sharing his own yearnings with me. He seemed to recognize me and to hold me in a reverence that I had not yet encountered upon the earth. We also spoke to each other using our voices, sometimes singing and silently running from one cloud to the next, free of restrictions and suffering. With a flash of our eyes, we would run and play, tumbling time after time in the sunshine over the earth for what seemed like an eternity. Our essences merged into each other like twin flames, coalescing into one and back again into two, two into one and one into two. We flowed together like rivers to the sea through each other. I thought of nothing else. Nothing existed but this cloud, this boy, the blue dome of the sky, and me. The two of us like lovers, were forever locked in this dance of boundlessness, desire, and joy. I cried tears of heavenly bliss, resplendent with a feeling of homecoming. His elixir, my tears, were filled with a rainbow light and the bittersweet knowing of how it feels to return home after a long and arduous journey into the arms of the one that you love. There is always a celebration upon returning home, and we were filled with the laughter of this sweetness as all else melted away upon the realization of each other's existence. I had no desire to return to the earth. I was staying here with him forever, and it was forever, until she came. He had run off into the clouds and I was going to find him when I heard a voice from the sky speaking to me. It was a feminine voice, simultaneously filled with mirth and authority, rich like maple syrup in the sunlight. Addressing me, she asked, What are you doing here? You are not supposed to be here. I paused, weighing my options and tapping my foot impatiently because I wanted to go after my playmate, whose name I did not know. The only thing that I knew is that he was beautiful. So within myself, I was resolute in the knowledge that I was going to find out exactly what kind of authority this woman had over me because I certainly was not going to listen to just anyone telling me where I was supposed to be or not and with whom I should do as such. I looked around and saw only the sky looming over me with its infinite blue intensity and realized that I needed to say something as I felt that she was awaiting my reply. I'm playing, I said very definitively, adding, Who are you? Well, you would have thought that I had told a joke that only a saint could understand because she started laughing with ethereal delight her resounding voice reverberated throughout the dome of the sky and was felt through listening as opulence, effervescent music, bathing the air with purity and light. 
It was a melody rich with vibration and sound that I could not repeat, orchestrated by heaven, leaving me captivated. I realized that it was not filling up the sky. It was coming from the sky and filling up the spaces around me like water fills an empty glass. It became obvious to me that her only form was the sky itself, and her amusement with my query became downright embarrassing. I continued tapping my foot and waited for what seemed like an eternity for her to cease her laughter, realizing that I was being spoken to by someone with great power. And not only had I violated some kind of rule being there, but my childlike insolence in the face of her indisputable authority was the most entertaining thing she had heard for a millennia based on the length of the heavenly symphony that followed. The rapturous sound held me spellbound as I waited endlessly for her to reply. She finally did by stating who she was in relationship to another. I could only conclude in that moment that the other was the one that I called God and that she was his counterpart. She spoke with certainty, and in her voice was contained a love so vast that the limits thereof were unknown. When she spoke again, it sounded as if she was singing a masterful song, blending words that lifted a veil so that the truth was revealed. This was the truth of who and what she was, existing throughout time and space. I had no choice except to listen and wait for her to finish. I uttered nearly silently, Oh, somewhat sheepishly under my breath. I knew that I needed to acquiesce to her authority and listen to what she told me to do under protest. At this point... It was as though she took me aside and began to show me my life in multiple dimensions of existence. I watched and listened with an internal feeling to all that she revealed to me. She knew that I wanted to go after the boy and began weaving together events and happenings in the most elaborate tapestry of being that it left me feeling completely overwhelmed. After you do all of this is when you will experience all of that and be with your mate. I continued to listen through a process of inner knowing with combined inner vision and hearing. Everything unfolded before me and within me, dimension upon dimension, painted on a universal canvas of light. It was too much for me to process, and I expressed my exasperation with all of it. How am I supposed to do all that, I asked, with the emphasis on I, because I did not feel capable of doing what I was being shown that I would do. I felt inadequate to the task at hand. Why me? How me? Are you kidding me? Surely you must be joking. She was not joking. She reassured me quietly that I would accomplish all that she had laid before me. My thoughts began to shift from the boy to how the hell I was supposed to achieve all of this that was shown to me. I mean, did she know me, really, and understand how desperately horrible I found life on earth to be? Well, yes, apparently she did, and she found it most endearing. She absolutely and unabashedly adored me with every last little flaw included. 
When she had finished the extra-dimensional slideshow, she reminded me, I am always with you, within you, as you. I will always be with you, always, in all ways. As I began to formulate the barrage of questions that I had for her, she gently hushed me and said, It's time for you to go back now. Before I could even protest with a wave of her intangible hand, I was pushed back down through the clouds to the earth and straight into my physical body. My eyes flew open with wonderment and surprise as I was greeted by a beautiful blue sky and sunshine on a warm spring day. There was an unshakable feeling of hope in my heart, even though I couldn't believe what had just happened to me. I knew beyond a shadow of any doubt of anything on the earth and beyond that it was even more real than the whole rest of my young existence had been. I was awakened by a state of presence that I never knew existed. As I climbed out of bed, permeated by the feeling of the experience, it saturated my own being surreally and fragilely majestic with heavenly orchestral overtones. I went downstairs and began telling my mother and sister about the dream. They both nodded, nonplussed about it, however, floored to see me in a good mood in the morning. Sounds like a really good dream, Cher, my mother said in her relaxed voice. I continued urging them to really get it, saying emphatically, No, you don't understand. It was something beyond this world, something amazing. I've never experienced anything like it. It was more real than anything here has ever been. I know that they thanked God for any opportunity to be spared my usual morning mood as I searched for words to convey the depth of the experience to them. However, I had no framework to relay it properly. So when they left for the day, as I continued preparing for mine, I replayed the dream in my consciousness. I realized that I could not remember who I was with before the arrival of the mysterious female voice from heaven. I knew that the situation along with his identity was being withheld from me, and I was not allowed to view it. All that I had left of it was the taste of him in my feelings and my heart. I searched for the answers as to who he might be, and I couldn't find them anywhere. As for her presence, it was easy to recall this aspect of what happened on the cloud in its entirety. It was etched in my heart and mind forever. I found myself trying to review what she had, for lack of a better word, shown to me before sending me back into my body, and this was also not possible in any conventional sense. I couldn't call it up with my senses because it was beyond them, so the only way to access it was through letting my mind and memory drift. Through that process, I was able to find the feeling of it and know that whatever it was specifically, there was a lot to it, and it was vitally important. I felt a thirst to understand the meaning of it and knew of nowhere I could go to do so. This brought about some frustration, so I began writing about the experience in my notebooks, translating it into poetry and prose, lyrics and songs. I found my attention shifting in my life as though there was something that I was born to do even if I didn't fully understand what that was. I had purpose. I had a mission, which to my 16-year-old mind 
seemed nearly impossible from what I could recall of my feelings at seeing it revealed before me. About two weeks after my mysterious dream, I found myself lying on my bed again and praying for the answer to my question posed to God. Who was this feminine presence from my dream? I couldn't understand it all. I respected her authority and yet still could find no answer. So I went into the old familiar leather-bound Bible given to me by my father. The only thing in it that I ever read were the Gospels, because anything else seemed like a pointless activity to me. I was only interested in what Jesus had to say about himself and his Father in heaven. I knew there was no mention of the female presence there in the Gospels, so I reluctantly began to flip through the pages, opening them randomly to search for answers. It was at that moment of feathering through pages with my fingers that I stopped, opened the book, and began reading a passage written in the first person that felt different from the rest. To my great astonishment, I came across a passage which sent tingles up and down my spine, because it was exactly word for word what the feminine presence had said to me in my dream. My jaw dropped open and I reeled as I read the passage that she had spoken to me in its entirety. I excitedly began to look in the index for anything that could shed some light on my experience. I saw that the passages were referred to as the personification of wisdom. Again, I opened the Bible to the chapter and verse and began reading further. I had found what I was looking for. Wisdom speaks. As I reread the passage spoken to me from my dream, I felt intrigued by this voice given to wisdom. Heretofore, I had no real interest in the Catholic versions of Mary or any sacred feminine form of the divine hierarchy, despite having attended a Catholic school in New Orleans. I had followed the strict patriarchal standard of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, believing the Holy Spirit to be something of a mystery. I looked around the room with excitement, as though I had found buried treasure, but there was no one there to share it with except my invisible angels, who remained vigilantly silent. I found it! Oh my God, I said quietly. That was wisdom speaking to me on the cloud. This passage was her, for lack of a better word, calling card. It said exactly who she was without saying her name. I asked myself why she would be speaking to me, this high and mighty presence who was with God from the beginning, before he even brought forth the earth in all her glory. I found myself praying and grateful for the answers to her identity. She was in the Bible, and I could put my finger on the ink and touch it. Proverbs. I would not ever be the same, and my life took on a dimension that few could understand, including myself. She was important, and God had sent her to me, so I complied with her instructions, intuitively understanding her authority. I didn't quite understand that the reason I was not supposed to be where I was— up on the cloud that fateful day was because I had died. My prayers had been answered. I had found a way out of the atrocious nature of the earthly realm, and had I not encountered her there, I would not have returned to my earthly body. I walked into my life renewed. It wasn't that I liked my life any better than I had before. Rather, it was that I had faith that my life would get better as I moved along through it.
It was comforting to know that this divine feminine presence was there with me in every moment, even if I wasn't sure what to call her. Calling her wisdom seemed rather impersonal to me, but I understood that she was my connection to God along with the one called Yeshua, and no one could take that away from me. Knowing that all that I had experienced in my life had a purpose, both the good and the bad, made it seem somehow more livable to me. I knew that someone was coming with whom I could laugh and play freely in love completely. I wanted more than anything to do as God intended for me and to fulfill my purpose fully. It wasn't long after that that my mother gifted me with a brilliantly spectacular kick-ass pair of boots. She bought them on sale on one of her trips to Berlin, but they were too large for her, so she gave them to me. They were knee-high, pirate-style, deep navy blue leather, but they looked black. They were big and bold and represented the spiritual footprint that I would unapologetically leave in the world. They decorated many days of mine, walking through the cobblestone streets of Frankfurt at all hours of the day and night, looking up in wonder at the night sky filled with stars. There were times that I felt transported forty years back into the past and could feel the heaviness of World War II knowing that the city had been heavily bombed and partially destroyed. I asked myself the same familiar question of why as I looked around the city streets, usually wet and bathed in streaming rainbow reflections of neon with red and green traffic light accents. Why was any of it necessary? Why did it happen? What purpose did it serve? The atrocity of it did not escape my ever-searching heart. Then... I would sigh, finding myself back in the present, under the stars, and hearing the sound of my breathing, playing to the rhythm of my own beating heart. The echo of familiar footsteps would return as I trudged on, in my boots, towards home. I went to the record store at Dornbuschstrasse and picked out some albums by Voyage to listen to at home through the new Bose speakers. I could crank it up when my parents weren't there, which was often. They both worked late on too many occasions to count, leaving my sister and I, or just myself, alone in the afternoons and early evenings. When my parents were home, it was time to go to my room and shut the door, or sneak down into the basement and disappear into the music for a while. My time with the Voyage albums was spent meticulously matching the lead singer's silky smooth delivery and then harmonizing with him on every vocal turn. His name was Anthony Spira, and I felt like I wanted to know him as I looked at his photo on the back of the album covers. He was such a gifted lyricist and vocalist that he seemed somehow heavenly to me. There were references to angels in their music, and I wondered how much he might know about them, if anything at all. When I found myself staring at the band photos on the album covers, I wondered if Anthony was the one from my dream. There was a shared love of music, and he was a singer like myself, but I couldn't get a good look at his eyes, so I felt uncertain. I read everything that I could find about the band, which wasn't much, and definitively understood that I wanted to meet him and them. I prayed about it often, with the desire to move forward with my life so that I could see my dream, literally from the heavens, fulfilled. 